You guys can sit down if you didn't hear Ben right there. Glad you're all here to worship with us at Church in the Valley. Uh, my name is Alex Baird. I'm the campus pastor here. And today we're wrapping up a series called Authority Matters. And Jeep Underwood uh, spoke last week. He was going to speak this week as well, but he actually moved yesterday. And I decided, you know what? Moving is a lot of work. And I decided to give him a break. Uh, he Shared last week, it was really helpful. I hope you had a chance to listen to that. You can catch up on the series if you missed any of it online at churchinthevalley.com. If you click on Alhambra and messages, you can go ahead and listen to that uh, at your convenience. Uh, We spent the last two weeks talking about the fact that authority really does matter. It's something that impacts our life. It's something that uh, we haven't just decided uh, to create ourselves as humans. It's actually something that has been given by God. And that's where we started on this series. And I kind of want to just to review briefly where we've been the last two weeks and just describe what we're going to be talking about today. And so uh, the first week we talked about authority starts here. And the here is really from God. Uh, It is from Him. Uh, He is the ruler of all things. And all authority has been given by God Himself. Uh, He actually didn't design the world to exist as an anarchy and to be chaotic. But He actually wants order. And because of that, he's put authority in place so that there's both leaders and followers in each arena of life. Uh, Last week, Jeep talked about really the role of a leader uh, as the someone in authority and how that person is given a responsibility and it's really their duty before God and before their followers to handle that responsibility well. And that includes serving and that ultimately includes accomplishing the mission First, putting the follower second, and then a leader is somebody that should think about themselves third or, or last. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about how to make it a joy for your leader. And that's really what is the, the follower's role in the authority structure? Uh, what's the thing that we're supposed to do that makes this all work? And what you find is if, if authority is in place to accomplish something that's meaningful and that matters... It can't be done with just leaders in place. Leaders and followers are needed to accomplish something that actually makes a difference. Because you can't lead without followers. You're just taking a walk by yourself. And you can't really follow without leaders. You don't know the direction to go. So both are needed in order for us to accomplish what God wants for our life. Whether that's as a student, whether that's in marriage, whether that's in family life as we're raising kids, whether that's at the workplace, whatever arena that we're in where we're bearing different responsibility, where we have different goals, authority matters. And so our goal in this series is how do we actually find out God's view of this and how do we align with his views and how do we actually try to do life his way? On Wednesday, this past week, I had the the opportunity to go see uh, my son, Levi, in a sports camp that the city put on. And uh, they're wrapping up and each week they focus on a sport. And the first Uh, The Monday and Wednesday of each week, they learn the sport. And then the Friday, they like play the sport as an actual game. And this past Wednesday, they're in the middle of basketball. And it's a range of kids between like four and eight. And let me tell you, I've never quite seen a basketball game like I saw on Wednesday. And it was part basketball, part football, a little bit of rugby, maybe some water polo in there from the sweat that was dripping from the gym. But ultimately, what I realized was that was a picture of what life would look like without any authority. There wasn't really a leadership goal. There was no one kind of saying, hey, you have to dribble. And so these kids would pick up the ball and they would just run with it. And all the parents on the sideline are cracking up 
and everyone's chasing and you've got teammates that are taking the ball from other teammates. And that's what you do. You all pack together and you just take it because there's a ball and you've got to take it. And then they go to shoot it in this hoop and it's a hoop about this high. And the other team would come and they would all lay their hands on top of the hoop. And so you guys got you got guys that are coming in rugby, like power slamming it because they have to go by six people that's arms on the way. So you got guys that are just crushing it and there's no way they're scoring. And, and it, Levi just comes to me and he says, <laughs> there's a lot of running and he hadn't touched the ball. He hadn't played basketball yet. And I said, you know what? That's right, son. It's a lot of work. What I realized is it was a lot more work than there's supposed to be because there were no rules. There was no structure. There was no goal. There was not leaders and there weren't followers. It was literally a chaotic picture of what a sport would look like without any structure. And it's fun. And, you know, that's kind of what you expect. I don't think anyone's in there thinking their son or daughter is going to be in the WNBA or the NBA. But at the same time, as it's fun, that kind of thing that happens, that chaos, that kind of stealing from people, wanting to get your goals in front of each other, not being able to accomplish what you need to do. That's the sort of thing that happens when we actually just are left to ourselves to do things our own way as a leader and to do things our own ways as followers. It's the perfect picture. That's what happens when we kind of get outside of the boundaries that God has put in place with authority. The first week I showed you a diagram of how God has put authority in place. And I wanted just to review that and you'll see there, there's the different arenas. Now, this is general. There's more arenas that exist, but this gives you the general structure of where authority exists in life. And you see it in family life, you see it in government, you see it in church, and you see it in business. This right here provides a lot of help for life because ultimately, you see, God's authority covers every area of our lives. Now, if you weren't here two weeks ago, that upper part of that diagram is crucial. Because if God does not exist and his authority doesn't cover everything, authority is very, very troublesome and fearful to us all. Because if God's not in control, then we're really at the mercy of the people who follow us and we're at the mercy of the people who lead us. And so this thing of authority matters, matters because God is not only the one who's established it, but he's the one who's still in control and covering all the authority that exists. So as we talk about following today, I want you to realize that as we may be talking about this lower children, citizens, members, employees, it still is under the umbrella of God as the ultimate authority. The key to authority is knowing what your place is and taking it. That's the key. Knowing what your place is and taking it. If you're a follower and you try to be the leader, it doesn't work. And if you're a leader and you try to be the follower, it doesn't work. It's like trying to play a basketball game with no rules. It just doesn't work. It doesn't function. And so the, the main idea of today's message is taking a look at, well, how do we take our place? How do we know what it is and how do we actually take it? And as a follower, we're going to talk about what our place is as a follower with a leader over us. Here's something that has helped me as I think about what it means to be a good follower. Not only a good follower, but what does it mean to be a great follower? Somebody that actually follows well. And it comes back to this central truth. Great followers aim to please God by making it a joy for their leaders. That's what great followers do. They aim to make it a joy for their leaders. 
Now, that may be a major shift in your thinking. I know for me, when I first started digging into the scriptures and I saw God's view of what a follower should do, this idea of making it a joy for my leader, it was counterintuitive. Kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It didn't really make sense. Because my thought was, a leader is there to serve me. What will they do for me? And while a big part of leading is serving your followers, leading means you're going to a certain destination. And to go to a certain destination means you have a goal and you need people to rally behind you to get there. And so a follower's role isn't just what can the leader do for me, but how can I make it a joy for them? That's one of the major shifts you find of what it means to follow Jesus. Because everything in us, our natural tendency is, I want my goals my way on my own timing, right? That's what I want. I wake up in the morning and usually it's like, what do I have to do? How am I going to do it? And how is everyone going to cooperate with me so it gets done? Isn't that the perfect world? It's all about me, right? But life doesn't work like that. I have people in my life, my kids, my wife, coworkers, bosses. Employees, all of this works together. We each have our own goals and we have our own views of what things should, how they should go. And in that, we have an opportunity to make this shift as a follower where it's not just about my own goals and what I want. And so the major shift that we have to kind of get in line with as we decide to make it a joy comes from thinking, what will you do for me? When you look at your leader, what will you do for me, leader? What will you do for me, boss? What will you do for me, dad? What will you do for me, mom? What will you do for me, professor? Whoever's in authority. Two, how can I help you? As my leader, how can I help you with your goals? How can I help you with the direction that you need to take us? That is a major shift. From how can you help me to how can I help you? That's what following Jesus is about. We put our leaders' goals and interests above our own. That's how we make it a joy. There's another shift. From how can I be aggressive to get what I want? In any group, there's always a tendency to want to get what we want. Right? And a lot of times we can be aggressive to get it. We see what we want. We want to make sure people know that we want it and they'll help us get it. And if they don't help us get it, there's a part of us where we're really concerned because they're blocking our goal. If you've ever had a goal blocked, we don't like that. We want it to work out in our own way. But the major shift when we follow Jesus related to authority, specifically as a follower, is shifting from how can I aggressively get what I want to how can I aggressively follow my leader to help him or her with the direction they're taking us. Not just how can I drag my feet or how can I just somewhat agree, but how can I be aggressive with my energy, with my attitude, with everything in me, with my resources to get us from point A to point B? Whatever that is in each arena. How can I be aggressive in bringing that to pass? Now that is a major shift. And what you find in life is this is, this doesn't really look obvious at times. It doesn't even seem like this is real. And I want to show you a clip where after all I've said about what a follower can do and what a can leader do and this idea of the shift, I want to show you what it looks like normally. 
And this is kind of some of our common experience. This is from the movie Kramer versus Kramer. You'll see a Dustin Hoffman a lot younger than you may remember him. Mm. Oh, come on. Put that down. Eat your dinner. It's getting cold. What is this crap? It sounds very sick. I hate it. You not hate it. You had it last week and you loved it. No, I didn't. Hate the brown stuff. It's gross. Okay. All that is onions and gravy. I'm allergic to onions. You are not allergic to onions. You had this last week. And remember, I told you it was my favorite when I was a little boy, and you said it's my favorite, too. I did not. Yes, you did. Here, it's regular hamburger. Just give it a little bite. It's delicious. <coughs> oh, what's the matter? I think I'm grow up. No, you're not. No, you're going to eat it. Yucky. It is not yucky, Billy. Eat it. Do you remember to bring the chocolate chip ice cream home? Yes, I did remember to bring the chocolate chip ice cream home. And you're not going to have any of it until you eat all your dinner and then eat your meat and your corn. Where are you going? Get back here right now. Did you hear me? You better not do that. You'd better stop right there, fella. I'm warning you. Hey! Did you hear me? Now, you listen to me. Don't be smart now. You go right back and put that back until you finish your dinner. Well, I'm warning you. You take one bite out of that, you're in big trouble. Don't, hey, don't you dare. Don't you dare do that. Did you hear me? Hey, stop. Hold it right there. You put that ice cream in your mouth, and you are in very, very, very big trouble. Don't you dare go anywhere beyond that. Put it down right now. I am not going to say it again. I am not going to say it again. I can't Ow! 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 Don't you kick me! Anyone else is good? Any questions? That's the normal flow of life. Now you may see, okay, that that kid got some issues. Dad's got some. There's some stuff going on there. There wasn't a lot of great leading. There wasn't a lot of great following. But the bottom line is, did the boy want to make it a joy for his dad? Is that what he was thinking? You know, Dad, I'm going to make it a joy for you and disobey everything you say. No. What did he want? He wanted his ice cream. That was his goal. He wanted ice cream. What do I want a lot? Ice cream. Sometimes literally. But I have my own goals too. And what do you want a lot? You want ice cream. You want your own goals. You want your own way. The key is, a follower decides, me getting my ice cream, which represents my goals, is not the priority in being a follower. The priority in being a follower is making a joy for my leader. I will delay getting my ice cream. That's very difficult. So I wanted to read you a scripture that has this idea of making it a joy. Because this verse, I think, is probably one of the singular verses that has helped me the most as I've battled and tried to struggle with being the kind of follower under a leader who God wants me to be. It says this, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account... 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I want to unpack this just a little bit. That is obeying your leaders. The obey there in the original language in the scriptures means to be persuaded. You obey, you're to the point where you've aligned with what they've said. You are on board. You're ready to go where they tell you to go. You're persuaded. You're on board. The idea of submit there is a yield. You yield to them. You're not trying to get in front of them. You're yielding to them. You're giving them the right of way. You're giving them the opportunity to go first. You're giving them the opportunity to actually lead. That's what it means to yield. And this idea of they keep watch over your souls. Leaders have a weight that followers don't. And it's because they are accountable to God for their actions as a leader. And followers are actually accountable to God as well for their actions as a follower. But there's this actual leadership weight that you have to go to God in the day when he wraps up history and he's going to ask you about all the different times you were a leader and you have to give an account of how you led the people that God put under you. That's a heavy weight. That's a heavy weight that's on our shoulders as leaders. And the leader's job is to watch over the souls, is to take care of the welfare of the followers. It says, you know, you need to obey them so that there won't be a groaning. We actually play it. I got one giggle, you know. It's actually a sport there, right? And so we play it every day. And you, you have, I had to wear school uniforms to my school. And, you know, we'd be wearing slacks. And at, at recess, we'd be playing on like a, a hard top, like asphalt, in our slacks and slide tackling. And we'd go back to, to school with like just holes in our pants. And that's what you do. That's the English way. I was on the, there was one team for soccer when I was in fifth grade. And there wasn't like any cuts. It was like everyone was on the team. And from my family, when they say there's no cuts, we really perk up in sports. Because we're not the most athletic type. And so there was tons of people that came out in fifth grade to play soccer. And the coach realized that there were really too many people to put on the A team. And it wasn't the A team until you needed the B team. And then it became the A and then there was the B. And the coach came to me and he says, you know, Alex... I'd really like for you to be captain of the B team. And right then I realized, like, well, A team kind of seems like that's like the better team. And the B team seems like it's not as good. And I didn't want to be on the B team. All my friends were on the A team. And he says, you know, you really have an opportunity to be a captain and to lead the B team. And I was thinking to myself, could it be like A1 or 2? Like, why does that have to be B? And I really battled with this. I really didn't want to do it. And on the B team, I was the goalkeeper. And you know what? We were really a B team. We stunk. I mean, we were terrible. And what I found in that instance is if I would have stayed on the A team, I would have been a lot more comfortable. And I would have been with all my friends and I would have been in my comfort zone. But I was a captain of a team that we lost a lot. And I was trying to lead a group of guys, fifth graders, in... How do you deal with discouragement? How do you deal with just not being that good? And you know what I learned? In fifth grade, that was a great lesson for me. I'd always come home every Saturday and my sister would say, how'd you guys do? We lost. 
Every Saturday she asked, and every Saturday. We lost. What I realized is over time, I was able to learn some valuable lessons. How to lose well. How to still be a team in the midst of difficulty. What I realized is that those lessons I would not have learned if I didn't decide to go with a decision that I didn't agree with. So even now I can look back and see, you know, God, God was in that. But it was a test. How would I handle it? What would I do? I could have just said, I'm not going to do it, and I wouldn't have played soccer. Or I could have tried to maneuver my way, had my parents come to visit my school, talk to the coach and get back on the A-team. I'm sure I could have done all those things, but I realized in that moment I had an opportunity to serve the leader over me to help him with his overall goal of allowing everyone to play soccer. It was a hard lesson, but it was one that I can see God was in, even at an early age. Another test I had was, fast forward, I became a teacher a few years ago, and I went through the process of getting my teaching credential. And anytime you get hired by a school and you have your own classroom, you have this, this thing of, like, here's your class, and here's the minds that you get to empower to do amazing things in the world. And you shut your door, and the magic happens. That's what I thought. And then the first day of school happened. And I realized like, it's not near as magic as I thought. And one thing the principal wanted all first-year teachers was to submit weekly lesson plans. And they had to be detailed to, like, each hour, what are you doing? And if she were to come in your class, she would look at your lesson plan, and it would match exactly what your classroom looked like at that given time. You know, when she asked to do that, all the teachers, I really resisted. I thought, where's my freedom to decide how I want to educate in any given moment? What if I just spontaneously want to shift and I just realize, like, wait a second, this isn't what I signed up for. I wanted to be able to teach in a way that I wanted to teach and how I wanted to do it. And every week we had to submit those plans. And she'd come into the classroom and she'd look at my plan and she'd see what I had on that given time and she'd see what we were doing. She wanted to see if it was matching. What she was doing was actually providing some accountability. She was providing some help. And that's her role as a leader. How am I making sure that these people who are in this position are going to be able to do what they're supposed to do? I really battled that. I didn't think she really knew what she was doing. I thought it was kind of controlling. I didn't think it was fair. Every week it was just a grind, a grind. And then after six months, munch, also known as months, she said, you know what, you, you no longer have to submit your plans. Thank you for doing that. And I could see that, that you're equipped to teach your class. And I realized, like, if I wouldn't have had that accountability in the first six months, it would have probably greatly changed my impact as a teacher because she provided a structure. She provided, provided accountability. And as a follower, I knew I could either drag my feet or complain, not really do it, or kind of be lazy or play a game, act like I didn't know, do it halfway, all the things which I thought about, or I could actually do what she asked. And what I found is that actually built trust. She saw that I was somebody that wanted to actually do what she said. And as a leader, there was trust there that was established, that I was willing to cooperate. And that's that idea of yielding. Everything in me was fighting. I didn't want to be persuaded. I didn't want to arrange myself under her. I wanted to go around her. But I knew that God sees. And it was a test. 
And you, like me, we have these tests along the way. And it comes in the leading realm and it comes in the following realm. But specifically, when we're faced with following against something that makes, against something that, that we want to do or that makes sense to us, these are the tests in which God really works. Because it's at that moment that we decide, do we trust God? And here's the thing. As a follower of Jesus and as a follower of people over us, there's two key decisions we have to make as we face these tests. The first is, I'm, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to help you as you set direction for us. I am behind you. I will aggressively follow you. We have to make that decision. We have to decide. One time to do it and then make that decision each time we're faced with doing something we don't want to do. The second is, as Christ followers, as we follow leaders, we have an opportunity to trust God and know that He will not rip us off. Because, right, isn't that when we follow leaders, there's this idea of we're going to get ripped off. The ice cream we so desperately want, we're not going to get. That's not fair. That's mine. And whatever that is for us, the goal, the desire, certain outcomes, when we trust God and say, God, I will follow this leader because you've commanded me to, I'll make it a joy for them because I know you will not rip me off. You will come through. I know that obeying you outweighs getting my own way. That's the test. Obeying God outweighs getting my own way. And again and again, you see this in the authority structure. And the leaders face the same thing. Wanting to kind of get away from the mission or put themselves in front of their followers. It's the same test. But again and again, it's realizing, God, I will trust you and that you will not rip me off. Now, if you're like me, it still is something that's just such a battle. And so I want to close by just explaining a scripture that we can find an example. Anything that's difficult to do in life or something that we may not have heard of before or we just kind of battle against, it's always helpful to have examples. And I want to close with a picture of an example in the New Testament of a man named Timothy. And Timothy was a follower of Paul. And Paul was a first century church starter. And he was probably one of the biggest catalysts in the spread of Christianity. And he started many churches. He started this movement of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And because of his work, the world has been impacted. But Timothy was a guy that was in a, in a place where he was a follower of Paul. And he had been under Paul for about 10 years. And Paul gives an endorsement of Timothy, which shows the kind of follower that Timothy was. And so by Paul's endorsement, we actually learn what it looks like to make it a joy. If you're trying to figure out, how do I make it a joy? Like really practically, what does that look like? I want to close with this. And the passage is found in Philippians 2. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to break it down. It says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. This is Paul talking. And he's writing to the Philippian church. It's this new church he started. And he's saying, hey, I want to send Timothy to you to help you. He says, 
I'll send them soon so that I, too, may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. He's talking about Timothy. Who will genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's kind of talking about normal people, normal followers. They just kind of want their own interests. They want their ice cream. Not the concerns and interests of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 22, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So there's three things I want to draw out here which show what it means to make it a joy and how to be a great follower. The first is share in the leader's concerns. If you want to be a great follower, you need to share the concerns of your leader. What they care about needs to be what you care about. Their goals should be part of your goals because they're leading in a certain direction. A good follower wants to help them get there. Philippians 2.20 For I have no one like him. There's this idea of he's this equal soul. He's like-minded. We're going in the same direction. We're a team. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So he's saying, I, I can't get to you. But I can send Timothy under me to represent me. Ultimately, because he's wanting to serve Jesus. So to be a, a great follower, you have to actually be concerned for your leader's concerns. One of the common responses I have sometimes as I'm following is, that's a you problem, not a me problem. You're our leader. That's something you're worrying about, I'm not worrying about. And while that's true, the shift is, you know what, if they're really concerned about that, what do I need to do to help them? So again, you see that shift. Not my problem. Well, actually, as a follower, you could be a part of the solution. And that's what it means. You, you, you care about your leader's concerns. The second is a great follower sets their own interests aside. You set your own interests aside. Philippians 2, 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So he's comparing. The reason I can send you Timothy is because he can, is concerned about Jesus Christ leading him in his life. He's concerned about what Jesus wants. He's concerned about the mission. There's this idea of Timothy, sure, he has needs and he has concerns and he has things that he wants in his life, but he's setting them aside for the mission God had given Paul. Now, it's easy to gloss over that, but think about that. Surely he had some agenda. Surely he had some motive. Surely he had this picture of his life and what he wanted it to be. But he yielded. And it's like before Jesus said, you know, I don't know what my life is going to look like, God, but I see it coming by me following Paul. I have my own name and I have my own interests, but I see my life coming from following Paul. So you see, God is working through the leader over him. And that is a crucial aspect. You're trusting God with the outcome of the leaders he has over you. 
So you're concerned for what they're concerned about. You set your own interests aside. And, and last, you remain faithful over time. And 22, the, the beginning of that. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. This is a great picture. This is so powerful. What Paul is saying is, Timothy is not my son. We're not related. We're not family. But he's following me like a dad who has raised him. He's following me like somebody like loves like a son. Like There's this relationship there that he's following in a way that it seems like they're family and not just like the dysfunctional family, but like this family where you want to honor your dad and you want to serve his interests. So he's following like a son would follow their dad. That's a powerful statement. He wasn't trying to necessarily be his own man. He wasn't trying to just get his own things. He was relating from a spirit of, I want to help Paul do what Paul needs to do. And remaining faithful over time. Again, trusting God that he won't rip me off. And that's a decision you have to make again and again and again in this area of following. God, I really want my professor to lighten the load of the class. Or I want my professor to understand my situation. Or I want my boss to realize that all he's asking us to do, it can't be done. Or I want fill in the blank whatever arena you're in. There's all these things that we're battling. But it still comes to no matter the situation, the circumstance. We have a decision to make. We have a test. Am I willing to follow and make it a joy and trust God with the outcome? And so I want to just close with just asking you to think about what tests are you facing right now in the area of being a follower? So think about the leaders that are over you. Think about the different things that you have on your plate, the things that are weighing on you, your responsibilities, all that thing, all those things. And think about what's the test that you currently face in the area of following. And I want to encourage you, in the midst of that test, is today an opportunity for you to make it a joy for your leader and at the same time trust God that He will not rip you off. And I, I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. As soon as I'm done praying, uh, John Rickert is going to come up and walk through some next steps. Father, we, we thank you for being the ultimate authority and the one who is in control and always directing and always leading. So ultimately, God, we want to follow well the leaders over us because we want to follow you. Ultimately, we, we submit to you as the leader over us. And God, I pray for anyone that's really struggling under a leader, that's just battling under authority, that God, you will give them a sense that you're walking with them. You will help them and ultimately you will come through for them. So God, we thank you for the, the, the times where we learn, even in difficulty, of what it means to, to really yield. And God, help us again and again to not want our own way, 
but to trust you in the outcomes. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we really hope that this has been a help for you. Uh, We're going to be receiving our offering in a minute, so you can go ahead and take this time to fill out anything left on the connection card that you wanted to fill out. Each week, we really encourage everyone here to take a next step, a practical application of what they're learning. Um, The joy and blessing of God's word really comes in the doing, and so we want to encourage us to go ahead and take that and work with it and do it. Um, If you look on your connection card, there's a few suggested next steps that could be your practical application that you want to take away. You could go ahead and memorize Hebrews 13, 17. Another thing you could do is commit to aggressively follow the direction of one of your leaders. Um, You can also reward someone who is following well, or you can clear up a poor, uh, clear up a poor following by asking your leader's forgiveness. Or if there's something specific God brought to mind during the message, you can also write that down as a practical application that you want to take. So right now we're going to go ahead and receive our offering. While we do that, though, one thing that I would encourage you to do is to think through how this has been practically helpful for you and to write that down on your on your handout or write that down on your message outline. I know for me specifically, as I lead the Sight and Sound team, a a group of very committed and competent people, it's helped me to realize that there's responsibilities I really need to take hold of. There's also responsibilities that I need to hand off to them so that they can fully achieve their role and do that with excellence. So I encourage you to think through that as we take our offering right now.